Don't talk bad about the robots because we don't want video evidence of our betrayal. So yeah, it's right. not, uh, I, yeah. that day yeah, is I want to be coming to get you. Yeah. I, I want to be wait till our robot yeah. overlords take over. I can't wait for it. Uh, Embrace it. And we're back and we're back with, with most of us here this time. Um, and it hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to start putting out the show more regularly again. Now that, now that things are winding down from the conference season and everybody's getting back to normal. Um, today we are joined by Alice Leung and by Derek Morse. So Travis, I haven't seen you in a while. Why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself and, if you have anything this evening to drink, introduce that. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been way too long. I'm finally getting some spring here in northern Illinois, so looking forward to that. Um, tonight, I am drinking a Generations beer from Freeport, Illinois. It's a hella good. It's a hella lager, and it is definitely hella good. Um, hella I, good. I, def I definitely recommend it. It's not very hoppy, more malty, so Trent will love it. Trent, what yeah. you got? All right. Well, it's... We're going bourbon today, guys. So I got I got a twelve year Knob Creek here. That's a good so one. It's actually a, one of my favorites. I think at the price point, it's I think it's one of the best for that. It's like a sixty seventy dollar price range. So but oh, it's wow. a it's it's really really good. So John, aka Jeff Sample. I got one probably that no one's tried. I I have horse soldier. It's actually from Ohio and I got it for my birthday. Um, somebody gave me an early birthday gift and it's got to be one of the better bourbons that I've had. Like it's, it's really soft. It's 87 proof, but it's not like, it's not terribly hot. It's got a good flavor and it's from Ohio. I just started seeing it on the shelves. So if you see it on the shelves, pick it up. It's still small enough that they're numbering. So it's like a barrel pick. So they're still yeah. numbering the bottles. Um, but really good bourbon. Really good bourbon. Really I've nice good things on, yeah. on, on the back end. Yeah. So Derek, could you, for, for everyone that doesn't know you, could you introduce yourself um, and introduce, you know, Dynamic Robotics and what Dynamic <laughs> Robotics is doing for the industry right now? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, super excited to be here today. So I'm. my name is Derek. I'm the founder and CEO of Rugged Robotics. Uh, we're a construction technology company initially focusing on field layout. So we've built a, a layout Roomba, drives around on concrete floors and marks a fully coordinated design directly onto the concrete. So MEP hangers, ducts passing through walls, intersections, <clears throat> excuse me, between the trades, um, the details of wall type and fire ratings and all that information, bringing that coordinated model into the field to help the trades introduce, uh, build things more more effectively, more efficiently. And, and we kind of grabbed you before you actually had a chance to go home from work today. So I'd imagine yeah, you don't have a drink. I don't have a drink. I'm drinking, I'm drinking, a, I'm having an extra coffee. So I'll be especially chatty this afternoon. Um, but I do enjoy whiskeys. My pick lately is a Shibui uh, single grain tenure that my wife actually bought me for my birthday. Uh, I think uh, it was a trend some, someone mentioned. Oh no, it was, uh, it was you that mentioned that um, you were drinking a gift. I'm I'm working my way through a bottle, and if I've found the Japanese whiskeys really nice lately. Um, oh hell yeah! It's a little pricey. I think it's in the hundred fifty dollar range. Uh, I googled it, so she splurged and got me a pretty nice gift this year. So I appreciate that. But nice, right on. Friend of the show, friend of the show is Kevin Suhu, and he started me on the Japanese whiskeys. And for a while there, I mean, I still still have behind me like a Hibiki that he gave yeah. me, and uh, Hakushu, and a little bit uh, like a Harmony. Um, yep. They are they are awesome. They're awesome. They're yep. they're like very subtle and 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 nice. So they're very good and I, I don't care for the the single malts as much but the the Japanese ones do do are subtle like you said so yeah sorry. so it's 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 marketed as a single grain and I think they're trying to like make it sound like a single malt to get attention mm. 
Um, it's, it's, I think the base is rice. Uh, it's aged in, in white oak, uh, European oak, and it's, it's really smooth, subtle. It's, it's nice. I like it. Nice. Sorry to interrupt you there, Jeff. Alice, you're up. Tell us a little bit about you. And you got a, a guest there that uh, is a little a bit famous. Guest. Oh my God. This is Newton. He was lost. So the last time I was on the show was just under, I think just under two years ago. And we were recording it when I was down in Gilroy looking for my lost cat. So this is Newton. He's been found since then. I guess like we never formally, you know, close the loop on that story. So I'm glad that uh, we're able to do that now about a <laughs> year and a half later. You know, don't worry, Newton's home. He's been found. Ah. I can I can finally for... sleep. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. He's gone for five weeks. Um, I know some people like didn't want to ask about the outcome. That was me. Yeah, it's one of those things you never yeah. ask about. Right, right. Yeah. You also never ask if a woman is pregnant, right? Like, just don't yeah. do that. It's not like it's. Well, I am not. Hang on, let me write that down. <laughs> um, but I am uh, at home drinking a diet coke. Not, not very uh, fun, but Alice it's, and I are lame. Sorry, guys. Yeah, well, it's a little early, yeah, on the West Coast. So we're. And are you out on the West Coast, Eric? No, we're, I'm. We're in Houston. Um, I moved to Texas about five years ago. Uh, and to be honest, when I first landed here, I felt like an outsider. But I'm really leaning in. I'm embracing it. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I've got myself a nice big pickup truck. I wear this every day. Uh, you know, it's 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 just really full on Texan at this point. Yeah, when in yeah. Texas, do Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's working out really well. It's honestly for a place to start a business. It's it's really business friendly. Um, and if you think about the cost of living, I raised money on the East Coast West Coast, and then we spend it here, and it goes further. And mm -hmm. you know, for a venture backed company, it's actually it's a meaningful um, extension. I'd say. I would also say you have some great construction allies down there in, oh, in yeah. Texas. Like mm -hmm. those, you, you have some wonderful companies out there. We were just down there at DSI and, you yeah. know, you go to that truck thing. I walked out of their fab shop and I look around and everybody's truck is like the best truck I could ever imagine. Having. <laughs> and they <laughs> were like, like $100,000 trucks everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing the truck scene is is huge and and the construction scene obviously anchored by the energy industry that's why i moved to houston uh i was actually overseas i was living and working in south korea for for a while um and when my wife and i wanted to come back to the u.s we were trying to figure out where we were going to land and i wanted to get back into the construction industry it's where i got my start and it's a sector that i, I love and want to be a part of um, and with so much heavy construction and, and uh, the energy industry here, this is, in my opinion, the North American mecca for all things engineering and construction related. Um, and it's also the fourth largest city in the country and growing at this tremendous rate. A lot of other large cities are shrinking, but Houston's continuing to grow by, I think, somewhere around 100,000 people a year. So there's just a lot of construction work here. And it's a, it's a great place to be. Fantastic. So um, I thought maybe we kick it off with with, with Alice. Do you want to announce to everybody your your new title? Uh, uh, <laughs> not that she's moved positions, people. She just has a, a new extended title. Um, do you do you yeah. want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I was uh, very. I mean, I was very surprised. Um, so at the MEP Innovation Comp. I don't know. Sorry. You should cut that out. <laughs> um, at the uh, Construction Progress Coalition AECX Summit, um, I was given the Dirk of the Year Award. I was yeah, very surprised. Um, I was not expecting it. And I think, uh, too bad the like photographer, videographer didn't catch my reaction because I think I like Nathan announced it and my mouth just dropped and I was like what is going on <laughs> um, but I am very thankful for it um, and it, it is a definitely big honor because uh, I've always seen myself as you know a, a technology geek of some sorts um, and I know in certain contexts people say I guess like maybe growing up people had a negative connotation for being a dork but I've always embraced you know, being geeky, dorky, nerdy, whatever it is, um, loving technology, loving robotics, loving hardware, cool things. Um, and yeah, I think it definitely fits and, and it's an honor. 
I think there's like, I don't know, I don't know when it happens, but for me, I always felt uncomfortable being nerdy and dorky when I was in high school, et cetera. But now I fully embrace it. And yeah. I, well, you know, I'm comfortable with who I am. <laughs> right. You know, and I, th I do think that there was a, uh, you know, there's a, a, in the social work, you know, like the media and everything like that for a while through the, especially through the nineties and those early 2000s films they were picking on the geeks but eventually the geeks started getting paid and i think that that helped yeah. make it cool a lot you know yeah um, that that does make it cool doesn't it? i mean yeah. like, oh wait i can i can make money right. things that are like cool and fun like oh exactly all right i saw someone wearing a t-shirt that said be nice to nerds someday you'll work for one <laughs> that's, yeah. right. that's probably pretty pretty true. Sure. <laughs> the same applies to robots Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Most likely. Boom. You should. That, you should. Was that a good segue? <laughs> yeah, that's a good segue. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I got to admit, one of the things that I really loved is watching my kids. Who I have a, I have an exceptionally nerdy kid, and watching the fact that they have all this. It's wow. not a bad thing. It's perfectly acceptable now. And there's all this extra opportunity. Like wow. I go to her school and look around and there's like every nerd toy I could have ever wanted as a child <laughs> is now there and available for them. Um, and there's a line to get at things like 3D printers, which is crazy. That's cool. That, yeah. That's that's not something that was happening in culture. But have I was you guys ever been to a, a first robotics competition, FRC? Oh, yeah. Um, they, so the world championships are hosted here in Houston pretty regularly. And, uh, I don't know, four years ago, I went for the first time and I had goosebumps. It was like Friday night lights, football, football level of excitement, intensity, teamwork, collaboration, but it was for nerds. And it was something that I never had access to. I didn't even know existed. Yeah. I don't think it existed when I was in high school. Um, but to be there and to walk through the pits and to see a team of high school students, like literally tearing a robot, a robot down to its chassis and like frantically putting it back together. And someone's looking at their watch. We've got a, four minutes. Go, go, go. It, it was really amazing. And it was such an experience. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The, the tools and the technology and the resources that nerdy kids have at their disposal now, it's, it's, it's cool to be nerdy almost. Um, oh, and you can find so cool. people that are nerdy and, and, and you have this like, cool team that you can be a part of which is awesome yeah they they had a similar thing recently uh i i live in indianapolis for the, the people that don't know but here at the motor speedway i know like purdue university did a thing where the students built the self-driving indie cars and they were actually <laughs> laughing i mean they they even they did like a, a, a albeit a short race but like yeah. i mean just going down the pit and seeing all those kids like working on that and like i mean it doesn't get any cooler than that uh, it's no. that's some of the coolest stuff you can witness they have uh they have a thing at our school here they, it's lego league but um yeah. some, something cool. similar yeah, yeah. So it, they i mean it's all they 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 build little lego robots and they program them to run certain routines based on whatever tasks they are and you know there's there's always you know it's uh, i think it's like fifth through eighth grade or something like that and there's always you know we're a very small school and there's like 15 kids in it it's 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 pretty cool and yeah. um a little shout out i guess to my my niece who's never ever going to hear this podcast but her <laughs> they they won the state championship this year so that was pretty cool oh that's awesome yeah we have um a lot of people on our team obviously went through some sort of robotics competition or experience mm -hmm. when they were younger they got the bug and they pursued careers in that. And many of them give back to that community and volunteer. One of them in particular stood up a team at high school that didn't have one. And, and I actually toured with him a few weeks ago. And it was really inspiring to, to walk through and see how big a community he's been able to kind of build up from scratch in Pearland. Um, so it's, it's, it's cool. And I'm glad that nerdy kids have an opportunity to be part of a community. Uh, when I was younger, I, you know, I was kind of isolated, didn't have a ton of friends. And and now that's not really, it's not really a problem. Well, Derek, I was going to ask you about that. So like, when did you get into robotics? Cause I'm, I'm just starting with my daughter. When did you, when did you get in? Was it like younger? So was I, it adult? It's, it's an interesting question. I, I'm not the robotics guy. So my experience is in the construction side of things. 
My dad was an electrician. I grew up in, in the industry. I hung fire sprinkler pipe um, when I was in high school and college and then graduated and worked as a fire protection engineer for a while and registered PE. So I've got kind of the construction side down. My co-founder and frankly, the brains behind the operation, Logan Farrell's the, the robotics guy. And he got the bug when he was in high school at FRC, um, did a mechanical engineering degree, did a, a number of co-ops at NASA, um, ended up moving to, to Houston to work at NASA full-time as a robotics R&D engineer. Um, and he's really a robotics expert and mm. he's, he's built a tremendous team. Awesome. You ever hire uh, any like ex-BattleBot team members? Or anything? <laughs> you know, we... A couple of weird stories there. Um, <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Let's go. Hear <laughs> so we've had a couple of people reach out to see if we could sponsor their BattleBot team, and like, oh, I so I awesome. would love to if 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 <laughs> Alice earmuffs if our venture investor. After the next round, we need some cool rugged robotics logos. That would be awesome. The... Oh, that would be um, so cool, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and then you deploy it on a job site. What's yeah. what could go wrong? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the human resources bot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the um, other kind of weird story about BattleBots is um, apparently the floor in the arena is magnetic. I didn't know that, but I was talking I to someone either. about it. And and one of the guys here knows people that, that, that are on a team. And he's like, yeah, it's magnetic. And I was like, wow, that makes, that's like kind of changes the game when you can suck yourself down to the floor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and the floor in our building is also weirdly magnetic. Um, and it's, I don't know if they just have a ferrous aggregate. Um, hey, I don't know this? if I'm allowed to show this. No, but... you oh, no, I'm allowed to show this. I wanted to show the group because, oh, wait, I'm not allowed to show this? No, you oh. just have to narrate. You have to narrate, oh. yeah. Well, I wanted to show, because Derek was talking about Logan working on, you know, space stuff. And I was yeah. like, this is what the new, well, we can cut this out. Um, but this is what the new robot looks like. And I was like, I feel like I'm in Star Trek or something. Dude, that's pretty cool. He definitely went over the top with the lights. The lights are just for <laughs> fun too, right? Like right. you don't need the lights to get the LIDAR to work right. That's just because it's cool. Like the <laughs> lights do have some functionality to them but it's basically status indicator and yeah. we went way overboard with you know what how to indicate a status um yeah but uh wait derek am i really not supposed to show yeah. that no no that's not ready for public my daughter is building her first robot so she's building a version of open cat which is um a, you know a, a, it's basically like the the dog bots but it's a cat bot and so i she's primarily building it so that i can build one because i need an excuse to build one and she said okay um and except for that. she's building everything now and i'm not getting to build anything which is kind of a bummer so uh, when i when i first stood up rugged i worked in my garage for a couple of weeks and tried to build a line following robot and i mm -hmm. i'm nerdy and like i can put some hardware together mechanically inclined and then it came to programming and i frankly hit the wall and I start to cut and paste stuff out of Python and I just don't have any experience with, with programming. And that was the moment of realization of like, holy crap, there is zero chance that I can build something that's going to actually do this. And that's when I went out and started to look for a, a technical co-founder that I could stand up the company with. But yeah, I'm glad you're having an opportunity to, to get your hands in there and, and do it. You've got way more software experience. So now you've got the hardware to put it Put it on and run it around Derek I'm I totally don't man I'm you I I was I yeah no I'm you I like I mean I was fab shop I was mechanical I blacksmith like okay. I just learned how to code and like coding servos for me was like an uphill battle like like and that's pretty easy um yeah. I did learn I did start from scratch though with my daughter which was kind of cool so I, I hope that it works out well for her so, you know, um, I'm, I'm just going to make an admonition because I, I really wanted, I've always wanted to ask somebody in your seat this. So when Alice brought me the idea of, of the layout robots, I boohooed it immediately. I like, I was a hater a little bit. And the reason I was, was I said, I don't know that job sites are ever going to be this, this, this environment that's going to be good for that type of layout. And um, I've slowly changed my mind and I've changed my mind for like a lot of reasons, like even to the point where now that I realize that, um, you know, 
the one of the big benefits of having the the ones that mark the floors that you collaborate let it's not just not just one person seeing it like through a hologram which was what i assumed would happen but actually an entire team seeing it and being able to to sort of interact what was what was when you started this what was your biggest oh well if that doesn't work we're sunk like what was your biggest concern i would say level of, of level of accuracy um, I, I want to just touch on your first thing about the, the job site and the, the environmental conditions. It's definitely a challenge and some projects are better than others. TI work, something that's fully enclosed and protected from the weather is just so much easier for us to operate on when we're on projects where it's snowing or raining. It, it, the schedule slips, the schedule's a mess. We don't have the space we need. We've got to sweep puddles out of the way. It's an absolute nightmare. But the TI work is, is generally uh, a really you know, comfortable, easy, quick, fast process. Um, but early on, I would say my biggest concern was the level of accuracy. Um, up until that point, no one was was building robots that had indoor navigation that could be down in the millimeter range, down 16th, eighth of an inch. Yeah. That had never, ever been accomplished before. Um, usually robots were using LIDARs and other sensors, wheel odometry, IMUs, and, and using SLAM algorithms to get a pretty good map of the space they're, they're, they're migrating through, but nothing was operating at the level of precision I knew that we would need in order to deliver a buildable layout. I think the fact that you were in Sprinkler makes that easy. Like, we don't have to argue about how accurate you have to be. <laughs> Sprinkler's been fabricating longer than, I mean, as long as sheet metal almost. So, like, you kind of mm-hmm. know, like, it's, it's you know, it, maybe you get a quarter inch because, you know, you can do some other adjustments, but you got an eighth inch to work with. Um, yeah. So, I, when I, when I, I would was like cutting... to stay on that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. You're the, you're, you're uh, I was going to say, when I, yeah. so when I was, when I was hanging sprinkler pipe, I used to spend a lot of time on the, on the power vice cutting and threading pipe and I'd get a big long sheet and here you go, here are your drops for the day. And I'd just be cutting and threading pipe on a rigid machine. Um, and when I first started, I was trying to measure things to like the 16th of an inch and, and my foreman was like, what the hell are you doing? And he actually got me, I don't know where he found this, but he got me a tape measure that had quarter inch marks on it. That was as, that was as precise as he wanted me to cut pipe at. He's like the nearest quarter inch, like stop it. Just go, go faster. Um, it was right. interesting. That's interesting. Um, I wanted to stick on that because you, you, you brought up an interesting uh, word you used when when you said uh, the project and, and scheduling. So you know, with a I, I have a, a project management background in construction as well uh, for a brief period of time, and I guess to me is are are you seeing are you offering um, any advice? I guess when when somebody deploys, you know, your machine or or your equipment on a job site, are you offering certain um, I guess like scheduling advice because that is going to be a big deal. I mean, it's going to alter who does what when across the whole job site. So, I mean, mm-hmm. are you guys kind of learning? Are you offering that as as advice to these people? I mean, I would it's, say it's we're still we're still working through that to be honest with you, and we're still learning in real time what works best. Um, I will be super transparent with you. We are most productive at the end of the day as the job site starts to get quiet and people are packing up their tools and heading out. And we'll stay until nine or 10 yeah. at night if if we have the opportunity to and the general contractor is supportive of it. Um, that's when it gets quiet. We've got space. We can grab a pallet jack and move around materials to clear the runway that we need. And we're not in anyone's way. And I... We've built a, a self-contained platform that is designed to eventually run autonomously overnight. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we're headed with it anyway. We're still monitoring and babysitting, yeah. um, but that's kind of where we want to be. The, the dream is to set it up at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and come in at 7 a.m. and have you know half a floor right. or the entire floor completely laid out, all the trades. Yeah. Now you can immediately run in with all your materials and start putting stuff up in the ceiling. Will it and, be packaged and, with like a mover bot that that moves things around with it? Uh, I mean, right. Yeah, <laughs> a whole my, little robot my, army. My my hope is that if we can compress a week's worth of layout with like four or five people doing the different trades down into overnight, that's worth it to the general contractor or to those trade contractors to have a laborer out there move the stuff around. Let's clear off a meaningful section of floor and press go and let it go. 
Um, and but we fight that fight sometimes. Oh, sure. People see the value and are supportive and willing to do that. And other times, you know, the fireproofer's got his section and he's kind of working his section, and there's no way around that. Yeah. So um, yeah, they I mean they have to let the they have to let the technology work as well, right? I mean, right. you can't you can't just leave the blockers in place. No, that's one hundred percent, and the, and those are the customers that we're looking for right now, or the the customers that understand that they have to set us up for success and support that success. And if they want to put barriers in place, absolutely, we will fail. Like you, you can make right. it so it doesn't work out super well. Um, hey, I've so we seen need to be selective. I've seen more and more supporters, though. I'm just saying it, and yeah. and the reality is. Um, it, Mike Zelanovich talked about it as like intermittent fasting. We have a, we have a situation in where there's a small construction window in most of our job sites, given a 24 hour period. There's yeah. an eight to 10 const hour construction window, and then there's this window that's not getting used properly. And 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 Mike went into to sort of great detail on it. And even back when I was in project management and contracting, there was always the idea of sending someone in early to do markup, early to deliver material, all of these things. And that's really, you know, I feel like that that time, that those, those hours in the evening and in the early morning need to belong to the robots. And, you know, having a robot that picks things up and moves it out of the way is not not a huge, not a huge lift, no pun intended. But <laughs> no, like, I was kind of being, I was kind yeah. of being serious. I, I right. mean, uh, yeah. Um, if you, if you want to so, come on board and start experimenting in that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as as soon as I'm done with the cat, we'll just put a bulldozer <laughs> on the front of it, and it can kind of walk. And it'd be cooler because it's a cat. I, I also I also would say I I lay out a lot with Trimble, and I can remember being on wet floors, standing on a piece of foam, and trying to like make some sort of a mark underneath the water with my rod. You know, it's like. Like I had a, a what was it, a, a little punch, a metal punch, and I had it spring loaded and was slamming it into the concrete. So like the idea that it's not, you know, all of the digital layout has a level of it's tough in the rain and, yeah. and laying out with the tape measure in the rain sucks. Mm. It just sucks really bad and no one will do it. So I, I do think there's that. What I was surprised is how many contractors I talked to were like, no, clean it up. Like, and I had a couple of GCs were like, it's an excuse for us to hold everybody's uh, feet to the flames about keeping a clean job site and a safe job site. So it actually has a cool little, like a cool little lead in, but definitely I thought it was going to be AR. And the more, the more yeah. they talked to me about being able to collaborate, the more I was like, yeah, if it's yeah. AR, I need 15 people that understand the technology. If it's what you're doing, I need yeah. one operator for yeah. multiple job sites. Um, I, I, I totally agree. And honestly, to me, uh, a bet on AR is a bet that humans are going to always be doing that manually intense, dirty, demand, physically demanding work. And I, in 100 years, think we're going to have incrementally more and more robotics doing some of that heavy, dangerous, dirty work. So I think this is a starting point in that direction. It's baby steps. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but I do believe in a future way, way down the road where robots are doing incrementally more and more work. And this is kind of heading in that direction. AR is a, and I also Heinz point of pipe, right? Like I can't imagine doing installation work. It's great for visualization, for walking around, maybe for some real-time coordination on the job site, but doing installation work with a set of goggles on and sort yeah, of- Yeah, they'll have reality. to make the interface different. Mm -hmm. If, if yeah, it's going to be right, successful, right. it's, it's got to be a different be, yeah. interface. Um, I've actually like the, the augmented iPad stuff better. I'm sure there's yeah. people here that are gonna that are that are gonna shoot me for this, but I I've preferred the augmented iPad apps. Well, it's kind of it's kind of funny that you say that because I I do as well. I thought and I thought that we would, but we do have a couple of hollow lenses. And once you put that those glasses on somebody, they don't want to go back. But I, I agree that there's mm. there's a pretty heavy lift. There's a, you know there's a heavy lift to get everything processed in there and to get it on, and then then um, you know we're still you know we we get it out a few times a year on or probably half a dozen times a year on active job sites. But it's there still needs to be like that tech support person on site because even something as simple as I I take that hard hat off and I flip it over to hand to the next person, it screws the whole thing up. So in in you can't expect a foreman or even a project manager or anybody else there to, to sit there and kind of rejigger it. But um, I was going to ask Alice, I want to get back on the, the Doty here. Um, 
with given your background and what you're doing now, I'd, I'd like to understand a little bit more like your focus on robotics, what, what you're looking for, what do you see changing in the industry? Obviously, um, the layout robot is a, is probably that your first big stride into to the robotics land, but nerd out for us. Like, tell us, tell us what you're looking at. Tell us what you, what you think we need and why. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, back on the Doty thing, you know, I, I come from industry and I like remember that the reason that I got this job at brick and mortar is actually construction robotics. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking back to like, you know, why did I even reach out? Like, how did I reach out to Curtis again? So Curtis Rogers is partner here at brick and mortar. And, um, I remember reaching out to him and that started the conversations with brick and mortar and, the reason I reached out was I was looking at this construction robotics startup. I'm not going to name any names, um, but I was researching constru construction tech startups, um, saw this company, reached out to Curtis, and I was like, hey, I see you're connected to this company. I'm interested in talking to them, learning more, or potentially you know, joining a construction robotics startup. And then at the time, brick and mortar had just invested in their competitor. And Curtis was like, Hey, you should come talk to us instead. Maybe <laughs> you know something else. Um, so yeah, fun fact: construction robotics is what got me to brick and mortar. When I first joined, a lot of what we looked at was um, still on the hardware side. I think when I joined, uh, they had already invested in Canvas, and I would say Canvas is probably the OG construction yep. robotics startup. Um, they've already raised, you know, a ton of funding. They've been, um, I think, they've been working on that for more than four or five years now. And they're definitely the furthest along in terms of testing out, you know, different business models and different um, ways of interacting with unions and trying to figure out, you know, how do you augment the worker rather than, you know, be this fearful Terminator-like thing that comes to construction sites, right? Um, so I think we owe it a, we owe a lot to the Canvas team and kind of testing it out, paving the way. And we're very thankful that they are part of the brick and mortar portfolio and, and they get to work with a lot of our other construction robotics investments, um, like Derek and the Rugged Robotics team. I know that, you know, they... Uh, talk a lot and you know there's a lot of lessons learned that get shared but you know from a scope to scope perspective there are so many nuances to how to go to market and how to do all this stuff um so i think for us like definitely when we first started digging more into the construction robotics space it's very much looking at you know what is the big problem that they're solving right and how annoying is this problem to contractors um that's definitely one big thing but secondly also looking at it from a technology perspective like is this overkill, right? Like, mm -hmm. are they actually, you know, designing something that is differentiated and also, you know, are they going like way too above and beyond for the task at hand and stuff like that, right? So um, luckily we have some friends in robotics and they validated that, you know, even in the early days, like the rugged team was very um, efficient and effective with their selection of sensors and technology in the overall platform. And it was a platform that could scale, um, but it wasn't something that was like over-engineered for what it's supposed to do. Cause like, that's kind of what we're seeing now with some of these other construction robotics startups is like, you're using, you know, six axis arms to do a simple task or something like that, right? It's like, you know, people are thinking that, oh, if I need to scale and build a platform, I'm actually gonna, you know, build this super crazy platform. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, construction tasks could be actually very simple. And if you don't understand the task and the workflow, you may be spending way too much time, money, technology, brain power to just try to over-engineer something that's not necessary. Um, so it's been very interesting to see, like, uh, you know, over the last year or two, we've seen a, a couple more construction robotics startups pop up. And, you know, we, we know the construction side really well, but I think we know enough folks on the robotics side to help with some of this validation on, you know, overkill <laughs> i just want to reiterate find a need fill a need solve the problem find the problem and solve the problem don't take a robotic platform and search for a way to sell it yeah. to the construction industry right. which we see thank a lot you for of. saying that yes thank you very much that's well, a I, huge I, problem right, in software I, it's, yeah, I mean, it's back to, just a massive problem it, yeah and software it's a big problem and, it, and you have to i mean back to us just being nerds like you have to fight the urge to build robocop right we don't need robocop when you know maybe all we really need is a can opener it's still yeah. you know it's still a mechanical device that does a job but you know it you don't need that swiss army knife i totally agree and and the construction industry it's obviously it's been slow to a 
adopt technology. Um, and I think a lot of robotics companies see it as an opportunity to sell their equipment into it. Like, oh, they need more technology. They need robotics. How do we adapt our system to that environment so we can sell it into that huge piece of the economy? And we see a fair amount of that. And I just don't understand it. I yeah. think if you approach a problem and methodically break it down, figure out what those critical pieces are, and then build a solution that solves those that problem, that's how I think you build a sustainable business. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think it's I, I think it's great, you know, what what you guys are able to do, like alongside of Alice and Brick and Mortar. I I think those relationships help a startup stay within what they originally set out to uh to accomplish i mean you guys have a problem set you're focused on it and you have the financial backing that is able to to let you you know proceed with that because what we see on the other end is when a software or hardware provider is funded from their customers they yeah tend to listen to a mm -hmm. customer and this customer decides that I need you to solve all my yeah. problems. Yeah. They have a so, certain, you know, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, and then you turn into this big giant mess that is now doing things <laughs> that it never even set out to do. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. It's I'll really be important. honest with you. We get requests every once in a while for interesting features. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's intriguing. Like, Maybe in two years' time, we'll think about right. that. Like, it's like, that's a really clever idea, and it's adjacent to what we're doing. And we have, you know, say we have the hardware, the sensors, or whatever, or we have some of the expertise to adapt to, to tackle that challenge. But um, it, it takes a certain level of discipline, and you're 100% right. Having the financial backing of, of investors like Rick and Mortar is, is critical. There's no chance that we could do this. We couldn't hire the engineering team to tackle right. this challenge and to to be able to develop this technology without that financial backing. So it's it's appreciated. Thank you, Alice. She's been a, a longtime supporter of Rugged even before they invested. Uh, yes, Alice has been a champion. Yeah, yes, she's been awesome. she was. She was on the phone with me before they invested. Asking <laughs> too. I yeah. you have to admit though, for for people looking in from the outside, sometimes they don't get that. At, in construction, one of the things we have is we have such a variety of products that we're producing for any building. Um, it, it really is sort of not an oddball because it's understandable, but like, I think a lot of people look at it, they're coming out of manufacturing. There's only maybe, you know, 400 base products that they're producing. And then they come to a job site and it's like, well, you don't, you don't hardly repeat at all. Like you don't even seem to want to repeat the same product once. So when you're hitting, like your product does, when you're hitting a piece of the workflow, like layout, that's critical to a huge variation of products. Now you have a robot that works where a lot of those robots are trying to build products for us. And we built too many different products for that to be an easy win. Um, it, it will be a win someday. I agree with that, but not, not an easy one. Hey man, Derek, did you ever see Runaway with Tom Selleck? It's a movie from the 80s. I know, I know, I, so I, I'm going to keep bringing it I up. Think, I think we're about the same age. Yeah. And I definitely remember the, I think I remember the movie cover. I actually worked in a, a video rent store rental when I was younger. Right on, man. So did I. <laughs> but but I don't, I don't remember. Movie, but I, I'm guessing the premise was robots taking over. Is, is no. that where we're headed? <laughs> no, the premise. <laughs> the, the premise was one of the scenes was they went to a job site that was all robots, and the yeah. number of robots that they got right throughout the course of this movie that was from the 80s is absurd. It's like absurd. Like I like watched their one little drone robot. I'm like, oh, holy cow! Ring just put that out. Like Ring just yeah. put that out this year, and and so I always ask people because when I was a kid and watching that show. And, and moving into construction, you know, that's what I thought construction would be. Um, so I'm waiting for our robot or overlords to take over. Um, <laughs> Eagerly. Like maybe a newer one is Westworld season four, where they're showing robots doing like the facade maintenance on the top of a high rise, maybe. Or... See, this is why she's more relevant. Nerd alert. <laughs> he is. Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> John stuck in the in the nineties. I am so stuck in in the eighties. It's not in even the eighties. You haven't even been to the nineties yet. Yeah, yeah. Tom Selleck still had real real hair, you know, in this movie. But that stash was still a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right? the stash that stash has had a career of its own. Yeah, it has. 
I, I wanted to jump yeah. in quick and, and ask, um, you know, one of those questions about go to market and tell them the story of, of value, because um, all of us, all of us hosts either work for or have worked for union contractors. Yeah. So what's the, uh, the sell to them? Because, um, and Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, is but from what I know of your your business model so far is like it's very gc focused we're going to lay out the points for all trades all at once how do you how do you sell that to the trades that are claiming that work yeah so we do work for subs on occasion um we do try to work for the general contractor part of the value proposition is bring that bringing that fully coordinated design bringing all the trades in there uh a rising tide raises all ships Mm -hmm. right we're trying to bring everyone to a level of performance and sophistication that that we can deliver um my my dad was in local 96 was through he's a union electrician um and i get questions about unions quite a bit i didn't start this company to take anyone's job um that that's definitely not the goal here we're trying to use robots for what robots are good at and free up people to do what people are good at and if you look at the the foreman or the layout guys they're generally the, the most talented most capable people on the crew and they're spending a lot of time doing something that's fairly monotonous. We did a pilot project that had seven miles of wall track in it. That's 14 miles of chalk line. And you've got the smartest guy on your crew doing 14 miles of chalk line crawling around on his hands and knees. That's archaic. It just doesn't make sense. Let us use robots for what robots are good at so that they can manage the team, deal with material deliveries, deal with the general contractor, the schedule, whatever's going sideways. Let them solve problems that people can solve um so that that's kind of our approach and that's that's the conversation that we try to have with both general contractors and trade partners um you know this is a topic that comes up all the time and we're we're still navigating it to be honest mm-hmm. i don't know that we found the perfect answer for how to how to <laughs> deal with this right right Look, Alex, if I'm a, any, oh i was, I was gonna, gonna say real quick if i'm a trade contractor i'm telling the gc that i didn't that uh that, that my team doesn't perform layout, right? So I don't have to give that deduct back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we just put it in. We don't, we don't know where it goes. Yeah, so it is something, um, I would say most of the trade contractors, they recognize the risks associated with layout. Um, and that's something that that we're generally willing to take on because we can do this better than anyone else. Um, when I was hanging sprinkler pipe as a, an apprentice, one of my jobs was fire stopping around the penetrations where the pipe passed through a rated wall. And every apprentice on the job site was doing that. They did it really poorly. And now there are fire stopping kind of consolidated service providers. There's a a specialty sub that does all the fire stopping work and does it really, really well. So that's the model that we're trying to follow is to take over that task that generally people struggle with or don't do especially well or do at different levels of proficiency. We're trying to standardize it, deliver it a really high quality, really fast and efficient way um and asking the the trade contractors to contribute towards that usually the gcs are also willing to put in some money towards it and um so far again it is we have to be selective with who we're working with and and they've got to be approaching this from the right mindset but so far we've been really successful and an interesting like i guess maybe side point is that if you look at Geographically, U.S. is huge, right? And every region has their own kind of norms, their own construction practices, their own preferred materials. And um, some regions are heavily unionized. Some regions are not unionized. I'm down here in Texas. It's not. It's mostly a right to work, open shop state. Um, so you've got geographies like this. What's interesting is the open shop areas are slower to adopt technology. Mm-hmm. We did a project in South Florida and I mentioned total station and they were like, what's that? I don't, I don't know what a total station is, but you go to Boston, Chicago, West coast, you go to any of the the more heavily unionized markets and all of the MEP trades are using total stations to do layouts. Everyone's doing fully coordinated designs and trying to carry as much of that detail into the field as they possibly can. So it's, it's interesting that it's a big country. There's lots of different norms in different regions. um, And we're trying to, to understand and navigate all of those, I would say. Yeah. Well, Alice, you know, I was wondering if you had any thoughts or insights from your end, you know, beyond the the layout robots and what the stuff that you're seeing kind of talking towards those questions. Yeah, I think uh, one interesting thing that we learned from Canvas and talking to some of these other construction robotics startups is like 
the word robot just has a somewhat of a negative connotation yeah. to workers. Mm -hmm. So instead of calling it a robot, you call it a machine or a piece of equipment, because at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? Yep. It's not right. full autonomous. And I think we are a bit away of full autonomous anything on a construction site. Like it's always going to be augmenting the worker or there's going to be some worker that needs to be around to either control, watch, manage, whatever it is, whether it's safety reasons or the tech, actually, frankly, the technology is just not there yet. Um, so we're kind of in this transition point where it's not full autonomous. So I don't know if you actually want to call it a robot. Like, is it really a, ro you know, like what is the true definition of a robot? Right. Yeah. Like yeah. a tiger stop could be a robot, right? I mean, it, it's, it is yeah. like, exactly. Yeah. Like we did a, uh, yeah, the construction robotics talk, like in theory, you know, any, like, you know, any software that's augmenting a human workflow is also mm -hmm. considered a robot, right. In its purest definition. Um, so I think like with one thing, you know, kind of talking about it as a machine or equipment tends to make it a lot easier for folks in the field to feel a lot more comfortable with. But I think at the end of the day, when you're looking at, you know, some of these business models or even just how they're coming onto site, like they're not coming by themselves. Like it's, it's not, you know, a full blown, you know, thing that's going to come and take away jobs or whatever. Right. It is augmenting the workers. You know, what's it's interesting is I've had um, on both union and non-union projects, I would say about 30% of the time, one of the layout guys will come over and ask if we're hiring. And it's yeah. usually it's usually the drywall guy who's snapping chalk lines on his hands and knees. Mm -hmm. I had one guy that was 26 years old. He's already had shoulder surgery. He's got a blown out knee and like, you know, a messed up back. And he was telling me all these injuries He's like, I'm 26. Like, I can't do this for the rest of my career. Yeah. Are you guys yeah. hiring? I'd love to come work for you. That's, I think that's the goal. Um, I, and Alice is 100%, right? These things are going to need babysitters and operators for a, a long time. Um, so I think there's an opportunity to, to offload the, the dull, dirty, dangerous stuff to a machine. Again, machine. Excellent point, Alice. Um, and and babysit that and we're still uh just helping them do it more efficiently helping them uh, dude you're a printer okay if it, i would not want to <laughs> hand write all the stuff that i have to get out during a day you're a printer and you're right. the right yeah. you're the right introduction to robots on a job site because i've been talking to a lot of the people creating robots and they're like oh i'm gonna put the 360 camera on it and it's gonna go take pic i'm like you're gonna put a surveillance robot on a job site and you expect us to like robots why don't yeah. you just would you like to give it a whip so that it can snap so we paying attention <laughs> like like way to not take pay attention to what people notice like a surveillance robot is going to be hated a robot that keeps you off your hands and knees that's going to be loved you have a robot that's likely to increase people's you know desire to have robots on the job site and you know i i deal with mostly union contractors and what i've noticed about the guys in the field is they're highly trained for the work they're doing they are, they are doing tedious work all too often. They're really highly trained for it. And a lot of times when I talk to them about what they're afraid of, it's that they're not going to get a break between it. Like my break was going to draw, draw stuff on the floor. They need to find a new break time because there is a level at which these are really, really good problem solvers, really good builders, really good yes. craftsmen. Yes. And yep. they'll take advantage of the tool. I think you know, with stuff like yours that's helpful and isn't a surveillance robot, like I get not liking surveillance robots. Um, I, I think that that's something that that most of them are going to embrace. You know, I think that's why the Trimble got embraced was this. I'm still doing it, but it's not taking me as long. And it was tedious to begin with. But I mean, legit, yours is a printer. And I can't imagine putting out the paperwork I put out and having to do it by hand. It's yeah. just just tedious. Yeah, um, yeah. I did have one question for Alice. Since you are since 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 you are the Dork of the Year this year, um, I I met you. Is it four years ago, approximately? You AU before the pandemic, so coming up on, yeah. Well, this year, yeah, almost four years. Yeah. So, so has it what, really been that long? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has. What you know when I talked to you back back then, you had a view of robotics and construction coming out of of, of 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 sort of general contracting. And, and you have had a focus on the trades. You've been really involved with the trades moving forward. What what is those four years sort of giving you as insight um, in terms of what you thought coming in to what you realized? Like, like, tell us maybe one of your bigger insights about what you've seen 
over that period of sort of getting involved with the trades and then what you see on the outside. Because I think the GCs, you know, often are surprised by the trades when they get to know them. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, on the, I mean, I kind of knew this even at DPR because I at, definitely at times in my job, I felt like I was a broker, right? I was just pushing paper around, sharing information, you know, like that is for the most part, what the job of a GC is CYA, right? Like, oh, I need to send out all these RFIs because, you know, God forbid someone gets missed on the distribution. And then we have this, you know, argument over a change order, right? Um, I think my biggest appreciation is the challenges of information flow for a subcontractor. Like, and I didn't really appreciate this even when I was at DPR because I was working on big jobs and a lot of those subcontractors, they were only working on that one job. But since kind of working on smaller jobs and coming out of it, it's like, there are a lot of these trades that have to work on, it's like one person working on five different jobs all mm -hmm. at the same time. So imagine all the crap that you have to deal with from five different GCs coming, like coming to you. And then you probably have 10 I don't know, five times five distributors and like five <laughs> suppliers. And, you know, there's like, just like exponentially more people that you have to deal with to do your day-to-day -day job. So I can only imagine, you know, a lot of the people that work in, like for a subcontractor, all the communications they have to deal with, all the data management, all of that. Well, and the the reason for for Nathan's organization, all the systems that we have exactly. to exactly. There's no integration. You know, there are no integrations. Not that there are no, but like lack of integrations, mm -hmm. and it's just like it just seems like it's so much messier as you go down. Like in theory, you would think it's so much messier as you go down the supply chain, but like the distributors and suppliers, they actually kind of have it easy because the subcontractor is coordinating. So I feel like the subcontractor is like in the middle of the like. Try, just trying to manage all the information flow going back and forth and they manage the most risk. So they don't just manage labor, you know, at the GC, some of them have, you know, self-perform or some of them do order materials to some extent. Um, but for the most part, it's mostly managing human labor, right? But on the subcontractor side, you're managing labor, you're managing materials, you're managing a factory, you're managing supply chain, you're like managing so much more stuff. So it makes so sense much. why the margins are higher and, you know, there's so much more risk involved. But I don't think I truly appreciated that until coming to brick and mortar and trying to figure out, like talking to the trades and understanding what their pain points are. And also when I think about like opportunity to build technology, I feel like the trades have been so like, I don't know if it's neglected because they, they are not seen as a big part of the supply chain, just based on pure revenue numbers. Um, but when it comes to managing risk margins, like how much they care about profit, how much you care about productivity, I think the subcontractors are where it's at. Um, and also with the subcontractors, I think it, part of it could also be that it's so like, complicated that maybe no one truly understands how to operate that business, which is why we, we may not have seen that many startups kind of going after the trade space. I don't know, that one is more of an assumption, but I definitely have a way greater appreciation for like the people working at the subcontractor level. Right on. Subcontractors are where it's at. That's the show title. <laughs> so i considered going to work for a subcontractor too because i was like you know like going and I, and I think like at the gc you know everyone tries to climb quote unquote up the pole of yeah going yeah, yeah, yeah but it's like you know like because you want to get paid to do less work but it's like not as fun like you know it's less risk it's like less work because you're kind of just like talking to people uh, no like I'm not trying to offend anyone but like i have a lot of peers that have gone from you know dpr to an owner's rep or on the owner's side and like the work changes pretty drastically and a lot of people like it because you have more flexibility with you know work-life balance and all that um but i always thought you know going to the trades to really understand like how do you manage labor materials resources and like just looking at the you know factory manufacturing you know all of that just seems like way more cool i mean it's complex but it seems more cool and gratifying to understand how that process works rather than like oh, i'm just gonna go and like throw around change orders all day that's right the trades are where the real work gets done um I, what i think you're touching on is we people myself included everyone consumes status so there's this natural like desire to 
try to climb that that food chain. I don't know mm-hmm. what you want to call it, that hierarchy. And um, I would say that's a, a challenge for trade contractors maintaining their talent base. And it's something that I see talking to drywall trades, um, drywall contractors that if they have a VDC team, they're getting poached left and right by general contractors. And right. by the time someone gets trained up and is really proficient and good at what they're doing, they're going up to a, a big, you know, sexy logo at the GC level. Um, and I, I would say it's not limited to just VDC folks. It's, you know, the, overall the, the, the talent in general is being drawn up and it's really hard for those trade partners to get qualified, um, capable workers and and hold on to them and and keep them happy and and give them rewarding work i I think it's a little bit too about uh just kind of the metrics that are applied to a a construction company just just basing it off of pure revenue Mm -hmm. you know you know it the 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 big companies that have revenues that start with a b are much sexier than the ones that start with an m um and and i mean even you know you're talking about like texas and stuff before like you know we as specialty contractors are ranked against other contractors, but um, the contractors in Texas, their revenue numbers are are close to ours, but their volume is much higher, right? Because oh, they, yeah. they're Texas dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. just trying to... Chicago labor is a little higher than... Yeah. Just a touch. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, it is a little bit of how you, how you kind of, how you're ranking each other. One thing that's interesting to me is the the trades in this area are often hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's bigger than many general contractors mm-hmm. in other parts of the, the country. <laughs> right. um, you know, we're, we're, we've got a, a great partner down here that does 150 million, maybe 200 million a year in drywall. And that's giant um, yeah. for drywall trade. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different scale for sure. For sure. So um, by the way, I, I definitely think you should have called it ruthless robotics because I would have remembered ruthless robotics. <laughs> that would have been awesome. So just like like like, like that like, sounds like a battle bot. That does it, it does sound yeah. like a battle bot. I, so my my goal, and I, I'm sure I've told this to Alice, but I I come from the trades. I'm more comfortable in work boots and a hard hat on the job site than I am in the boardroom. Like that's the community that I really identify with and, and, and want to be a part of. And when I was going through the exercise of naming the company, I spent a couple of days kind of brainstorming and trying to figure out what to name it and came up with rugged robotics. And, you know, we're still nascent in building our brand identity, but I, I actually, I have a koozie. I need to send you guys some koozies to, to put your IPAs in. <laughs> but we keep a five-gallon bucket of camouflage koozies on almost every job site we're on. And if someone comes over and, and asks what we're working on and what we're doing, they get a koozie, we'll chat them up, try to, you know, pick their brain for ideas and feature requests and feedback. Um, but yeah, I... I it's, was, I'm sorry that I didn't name it. Uh, ruthless. The name is memorable enough for you. Look, John, John and I have no, I mean, you know, John and I have steel toe consulting, so it's yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah, it's not, there's no. Uh, Derek, mine was You're right in line with that. <laughs> my kid made a joke about something that I was taught early on in contracting, and that's when you're shaking someone's hands, they're always staring at your boots. And if your boots are clean, they know you're a dick. Um, oh, yeah. Part of my language, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but that's the thing is they they yeah. know that you're not there to help them. It's like I, I I had to convince one of the companies I worked at to get rid of all the white hard hats, and they said why, and I said because when they see a white hard hat, you know it's an engineer, and everybody hides, yeah. and <laughs> and so like like don't do those things. But but I think that I, again I think that the robot that you've decided to to settle on is one that's perfect for the one that. One that I feel like I can support because it's not taking away building. Because I think a lot of the people in the trades, what they got into the trades to do is to build stuff rather than to push paper. And literally, layouts pushing paper. They just don't realize it's pushing paper. But it's pushing paper. It's it's marking yeah. up a floor so that you can build. Yeah, yeah. you're, you know you're copying I mean? paper to the concrete. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pushing paper. So I think you're helping them to build better. And I, I, I really applaud you for that. Um, I had one last question because we are running out of time for you, Derek, and that is you've managed to remain very focused on this product and you've kind of doubled down on that throughout the entire talk is I'm focused on this product. I focused on the features that we have for this product. 
So, okay. um, so if, if tomorrow Travis, who has tons of money over there at Helm Mechanical, <laughs> bought the entire company off you, and, and yeah. then the next day Alice came said, "Hey, listen, you did a great job building that robot. We need you to build a different robot. You know, you, what's in your head, man? What what's your?" Don't take this I've the wrong way. I'm not trying to make you move. Ideas. But like, got, but what do you want to build next, man? I've got all kinds of ideas, and honestly, I don't want to share the best ones. <laughs> no, no, no. Share give, one give us like number three. Deflect like, uh, to deflect. Just do like we'll, a number four. We'll take top five. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, if you think about what we're doing, we're we're right at the intersection of the digital and physical world, right? We're yep. taking that digital model and we're bringing that information into the real world. If you look broadly at construction, it is executing a task in a specific location. So we're trying to own that, like that indoor navigation, hyper-precise mobility platform. And right now we're commercializing that with printing and just putting that information on the floor. But there's no reason we can't add some sophistication dexterity to that platform and start doing some level of installation work. And it's going to be incremental. There's you know, not going to be a magic robot. It's certainly not going to be a humanoid robot that's going around doing construction work. But we can start doing simple tasks on the job site. And I don't think that's too far out. It's it's a few years away, but um, you know, that's kind of where I think we're headed. Um I I don't know that I can give you because the only ones in in my idea are things that I actually do really want to pursue. So I <laughs> see you're always We're supposed to pick the idea you know good. won't work, and then you give that out. You know, yeah, that's it. But that was that was a good uh, answer, Derek. Uh, Trent, Travis, do you have anything else to ask them before we before we kind of close out? I I don't have anything to ask. I, this was an awesome conversation. I, I love nerding out with with folks like you. I I, I hope we could continue to do more. Um, and you know, I, I guess I'll throw I, I would a... absolutely love to. Um, I'm big fans of what you guys do, and and would love to be a part of of uh, the community. So you're you're a fan. You're a fan. Yeah. So you're the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we found him. We Alice hit me off, and I've been listening. So um, yeah. No, yeah. just uh, very appreciative, Alice, Derek, both of you. I know, uh, Alice, you've been on here before. It's always fun talking to you here, here and at the conferences. I think it's cool what uh, what Brick and Mortar is doing. I think it's fantastic. I think it's empowering people like Derek. I mean, there, there's, uh, you know, Derek is one of the companies out there. There, there are others mm -hmm. that are doing some really cool things in construction and uh, uh we wouldn't be doing our you know, due diligence to our listener base if we didn't bring these people on to talk about the cool things that are happening. And uh, um, I like that. It's not robotics. They're machines, right? They're, That's right. They're, like they're, they're augmenting the workforce. I think let's remember that. A lot of key takeaways out of here. And um, yeah, I... Uh, Trent, totally, totally uh, agree with you. We we couldn't we couldn't do what we do at Rugged, and frankly, the industry couldn't evolve without supporters, financial supporters like Alice. And I've spoken with probably a dozen people that have told me, "Hey, I thought of the layout room. I wanted to do that." It's like the idea has been around for a while. Right. It's just you know, someone it takes. It takes, I don't know, maybe a little bit of craziness to push your chips in the middle of the table and go after it, but then it takes someone like Alex behind you to enable it because um, you can only get so far on your own before you need to start building a team and really hiring some expertise. So I'm grateful that the venture community is starting to pay more attention to the construction industry. I am excited about where we're headed as an industry. I'm thrilled that I can be a part of it. I think that this is, I've finally found what I'm meant to do professionally. I'm having so much That's fun awesome. learning a ton. It's really rewarding. It's got its ups and downs. I'm not going to lie. But, um, <laughs> well, what, anyway. what does and it And now mean? that Alice is backing us, I can actually draw a salary. The, the <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you yeah. better tighten that up there, Alice. You better tighten it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got, I got to step up to the name brand ramen noodle now. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not much, but it's something i can just <laughs> you guys i, I want to me with too much credit and also brick and mortar or the venture community i mean the the wonderful thing that, we, that we've seen is the industry has really shown interest um i've definitely seen that change over the last 
four years that I've been here now, there's a lot, a lot more interest from the industry side. And I like that as actually what fuels me is like people from industry asking for solutions, getting interested in the tech, like, you know, looking for solutions, asking, you know, like, like going out, talking to startups. I think we're in a very unique space. Like I've talked to a lot of other VCs in healthcare, biotech, all these adjacent spaces, and they don't see nearly the same type of reception from the industry as I see. Like, I always feel like I'm super spoiled because I talk to folks and, you know, people are so open to sharing. People want to collaborate. People want to share their opinions, but the other industries are not like this. Like it's so hard to get, you know, customer feedback or, or to get the industry excited. So I feel like it's a really good timing for like all of us, all the dorks, all the nerds, everyone who agree. loves tech yeah. and, and I'm hoping that, you know, this just continues to grow and that, you know, we hopefully will see more um, robotics on construction sites and, you know, doing all the things that are heart, you know, backbreaking and all that. My dad's a carpenter and he's had back problems probably for the last 30 years. And I would like to not see people's, you know, family, sure. parents with hurt backs, broken fingers, you know, fingers that you can't close all the way. Like my dad has a broken body um, and it, you know, is very painful to see. So I'm like, you know, hoping that this future of construction is going to be, you know, a lot more augmented workforce. Um, we can leverage hardware robotics and, you know, do it faster. There's a, you know, growing need for more and more homes and buildings and shelters and support spaces and, you know, labor we have a labor issue. So we need, we need more robotics or I guess I should say machines, but machines. I machines. We need more machines. So any uh, entrepreneur from industry, from outside of industry that wants to build something um, we will gladly support and at least try to find a way to intro to customers or whatever, validate ideas. Um, but we, we want to be a supporter for the space. And I just want to say, go for it. You don't know if you don't try. You don't know if you don't ask. You don't know if if you don't put everything you've got into it. So go for it. And and who knows? And maybe it doesn't work out, but you're going to learn a ton along the way. And if it does, it's a hell of a ride. So, um, you know, anyone that's thinking about it. Yeah, it's great advice. We have an industry that rewards risk takers by having them fall <clears throat> up. I'm just saying. Risk takers in construction fall up. And, and I want to give a shout out to Nathan Wood and the Construction Progress Coalition for bringing together that community and for uh, like consistently picking people that have huge impacts in construction for the Dork of the Year. We've had each of them on the show. I We we, we all know each of them personally. And they, they, they are people that have huge impact. And, and it was really interesting. Alice, you're the first time that it's been somebody that's associated even with ventures. It's always been somebody kind of mm -hmm. different. So, so yeah. Nathan, what, thank you so, so much for what? everything you do. It's been what? So Walker was the first one, right? Yep. Walker Locker. Yep. We should probably go back. After that, it was James Lil. Simpson, right? Or was Lil, it was Lil, Lil before? No, no James. James isn't one, but James was just on with Walker because James right. is yeah. awesome. Oh. Okay, then so I knew I knew Lil was one. I didn't know if, if James was between the two, but so nope, nope. Walker, Lil, and then is this the third one or no, this is fourth, uh Brianna. Brianna. Um, that's right, that's right. Wanna make sure we get that out there. So yep. <laughs> and she was on too. I remember drawing y'all, so it's easy for me. Um <laughs> but uh I, I think we should probably wrap it up. We went we went pretty good over, but not like I don't like feel crazy. like Jeff's going to slap me down too much, but, but, uh, so this has been the, the construction dorks and, and please join us for the next episode.